You're listening to with wit. You're listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by a machinist. I'm your host Dylan Jackson from Protea Machining, and this week I'm joined by Josh Furman of Firmworks. Welcome, Josh. Hello, Dylan. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me. So, for those who don't follow you on Instagram or you know know of your stuff, what is Firmworks? What do you guys do? Where are you located? All that good stuff. So we're coming from England in the United Kingdom and Firmworks is just basically a job shop subcontract manufacturer doing a CNC machining. Awesome. And then you also have your own product line that you're starting as well, right? Yeah, it's sort of in still still very early doors on, on some of the products we're trying to bring out. But yeah, Vice and some Zero Point in the works as well. That's excellent. Well, let's get into your backstory then. How did you get to own your own shop and you know, how did you get to where you are now? So, yeah, so I st- had an engineering apprenticeship way back when, about nine years ago. It was at the Medical Research C- Council Laboratory of Molecular Biology, which is quite a, quite a mouthful. But this place is basically a medical research lab. It's actually where they discovered the structure of DNA back in the 60s. But when I started there, they'd just moved into a brand new building and a nice clean workshop that you could eat your dinner off the floors if you wanted to. <laughs> so I was quite spoiled as my, with my introduction into machining. So he was there as a mechanical engineer. Basically, we assisted the research staff on all their random different projects. We can get into a few of them later on if you like. But then, yeah, I was there for three years. I completed my apprenticeship. And then moved on to a local, more local place to me, doing a just production machinist, which was quite good. So it was a bit like going into the real world, really, because being a sort of a, a research, a research place, it was very much it, it gets done when it's done, make sure it's right, this, that, and the other. But going into the production place was yeah, get these parts done yesterday. No, we're not buying the right tools. No, we will just get on with it, get it done. <laughs> right, you got to make do. You got to make those customer demands, all that stuff. Yeah, and that, now being on my own, I sort of, <laughs> I was annoyed at the time, but I understand it now that you can't can't always order the best of everything to just because you fancy it. So, yeah, and then um, you went full time at your shop just over a year or just under a year now. I've been. It's about ten months in full time. I was part time with my last job for about yeah, just over a year and year and a bit. So just Firmworks as. As it was started as an entity with with my own machinery and that it's just just over two years now so it was may it was in may of 2020 when when i took the plunge and uh, started off what a time to start a business as well it was crazy yeah so i was i was working at the whittle laboratory in uh, aerospace research there but when when we had some serious lockdowns in england as sort of everyone did all over but i was off work fully paid for a about six months and before that I was using the using the workshop to sort of do a few bits on the side a few uh, we could call it homework over here and I built up a little bit of a customer base and then when when the when the lockdown started and we weren't allowed in, I wasn't allowed anywhere near the workshop for actual work let alone my own stuff so after yeah after a couple of months of uh, sitting around and spending some time with the family I started looking at looking at buying a machine basically and that's when I bought my first one so let's get into what machinery you have and what capabilities you have in the shop. Yeah, so started off that first machine was Ed Mini Mill 560, which is not not very similar to the Haas Mini Mill, although sort of 
similar size, but it's full boxways machine. It's got 12,000 RPM spindle and Siemens control, which is my favorite of the controls. And then, yeah, so that was my first machine. And then a little while after that, I, I thought everything I was going to be doing was milling. And then pretty much every job, every other job was coming to get quoted on needed some turning so then i got a proto track lathe so no no tool changer it was just a two-axis cnc machine at cnc lathe which was a bit of a mistake to buy that machine to be honest with you it was it was cheap at well fairly cheap at the time but during the lockdown no one was uh, no one was selling machines it was the only thing i could really find within my budget um so that ended up getting sold and i replaced that the proto track lathe with probably Probably my favourite machine at the moment is my 1990 Hitachi CQ High Tech Turn 20S2, which is a two-axis CNC lathe with a Yasnak control on there. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange setup on that machine. The the x-axis is actually vertical up and down rather than a slant bed. Rather than it being for, like on a on the lathe before that, like, it was forward and backwards like a manual lathe. And then on on the machi latest machine, I've just got a Colchester 350. And it's like 45 degree slanted ways on the x-axis. But it's a it's a it's a beast. It's a touchy seek. It really, <laughs> it yeah. It I the other week I so about two weeks ago now I basically let it self destruct. I had a big big lump of EN 24T steel, 140 millimeter diameter by 140 millimeters long, launch out of the chuck. Oh, <laughs> destroyed, destroyed, destroyed my hydraulic chuck and uh, destroyed the window. And yeah, that was a bit of a brown pants moment, shall we say, to keep it. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Were you right in front of it? I actually wasn't. I was over at the uh, one of my other machines when it happened, but it was sort of all over before I even got there. I mean, even if I'd have e-stopped it, it was, it was already been too late. So yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare. Ended up having to get a, a new, I had an eight inch chuck on there, sort of a Japanese one. And then one of my buddies, shout out to Will, Will Bullock. He sold me one from his old Akuma, which he had sitting around. But that was a 10 inch chuck and got that on there now. It's a bit bigger, which means this doesn't clear the turret quite as well, but it got me back up and running, which is the main thing. <laughs> Definitely. So is it everything else all right with the machine? It was just the I had to I had to realign the turret, which to be honest with you, it had a few minor knocks before that. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm not too kind of my machines. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it, you know as bad as it could have been, it was a I won't say mild because you destructed a, a chuck, but you know at least it could have gone way worse from what I see. It could have been. 100%. Yeah, my customer, they've got a, one of my customers got a Doosan lathe and they, one of the operators destroyed the entire spindle. It was something like £20,000 to replace and like a, it was offline for about eight weeks. So Oof. if that, if that had happened to me, that would have been game over. <laughs> right. So talk to me about buying machinery in the pandemic and getting it rigged in and all of that. Cause I imagine, you know, just getting riggers and things like that was kind of a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd never bought a machine before, not for myself. I'd been part of the process of buying a, a new, a brand new machine at the Whittle Lab. But yeah, so I didn't really know what I was doing, which is probably, I think, naivety sort of done me well, because if I'd have looked at doing it all on paper, it probably would have scared me off. But there we go. So it went too bad. It was everyone was wearing masks and the, the I went to look at a couple of places. I mean, you weren't allowed to go anywhere like it. I got stopped actually a couple of times going to and from work by the police questioning where you're going and what you're doing. So I looked, at, I went down to a couple of machinery dealers. They were obviously still trying to keep going and, and deemed essential for manufacturing. So yeah, I went down to one place and looked at a couple of machines there and it was 
nothing that I've really it was actually a, a robo drill and a hard inch machine so I nearly became cut part of the BT30 club but but no it wasn't too bad I mean the, the machine I went and looked at was more of a private he was a dealer but he wasn't a it was a bit more but when I turned up it was a, a sort of small well quite large unit full of fairly old machines this guy was sort of winding down his business and but yeah when it comes to buying a machine I went and looked at it and it was absolutely fine I was happy with it I've ran the mini mill 560 before so it was a good idea I think to get something I was familiar with and then yes with rigging the the seller actually sorted it out so he had a driver just basically brought it to me and then uh, yeah one of the questions do I know how to use a tape measure getting a machine in the door was a challenge i had to remove i measured it up and i thought it would fit which i've done with all four of all five purchases so far and didn't fit luckily where uh. i'm in I'm, I'm i'm sort of in a in a unit which you can see where i am at the minute but i'm, I'm underneath a mezzanine and part of, i'm sort of shared at the moment so there's it's a, it's a bigger unit and um and there's a mezzanine and my bit is just under the mezzanine so there's two like wooden doors and a wooden wall sort of partition, which all had to come down. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. I was wondering why that, that question from Alex Bellringer on the Patreon, I was like, well, what does that mean? And I must've missed your stories on it or something. Cause I was like, what do you mean? Does he know how to use a tape measure? Like that, that makes more <laughs> sense now. Yeah. Yeah. So a guy, I, I use a guy now, Edwards, who was recommended, I think from Alex at Bellringer, he recommended Edwards to me and he's moved all, all my machines after that. He's, he's a good old boy, but yeah. Every time he turns up and he goes, will it fit? And I go, yeah, I measured it, it should fit. He goes, it's not going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, before we get on to too many of the questions, you said you had some cool projects that you'd worked on in your apprenticeship. Let's go back to those days. And, you know, what, what kind of projects were you working on in a research setting? It was, to be honest with you, it was sometimes you'd just be, you'd be, drilling and installing a bracket on a wall or something like that or a lot of the stuff was actually electron microscopy so you'd be making different stages and attachments for them to put their like glass dishes and stuff like that a couple of the cool projects was uh one was a uh, it's called a freeze plunger and it there's these uh three imagine a three millimeter copper disc but it's actually a mesh and that's held in in some like swiss made tweezers and they they put their sample on the copper disc and then uh, this this basically contraption, which uh, I didn't design this one, but I designed some add-ons for it. But the process is called vitrification, and basically they plunge it into liquid nitrogen to freeze it, and that basically prepares the sample to then go onto the yeah the microscopes, electron beam microscopes. So that was quite cool. I made a uh, it, it, the way it worked was like a, a sort of a, a shaft that goes up that's got a, like a ratchet system on it, and then uh, pull the sort of Bowden cable, little trigger thing. And then it releases it. But what they wanted to do was clean the the, the apparatus with like an air blast before between each use when they were doing it sort of, I guess, in a bit of a production setup as, as what we would think it is. But yeah, when they keep loading them and loading them. So where the tweezers were pulled up into the sort of home position, there was a, two like air nozzles pointing at the tweezers at the, at the sample. And the bit I designed on that was sort of the mechanism. So as it went, it had to clear out the way for when it dropped, but when it was pushed up to home, it had to sort of pull it back into place. Um, and then, yeah, they'd do the air blast and then they'd release it. So that was quite cool. That sounds really cool. So did you, did you design it kind of like a wine cork opener, you know, with arms? It was, like that's in? exactly, yeah, that is exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So my boss sort of gave, gave me the, he sort of planted the seed for me. And back then I was, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to use can or CAD really. I did have a, a 2D, it was feature cam, but it was a 2D version. It was from like 
2002 or something. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, when I started my apprenticeship, for the first I think, year and a half, I had to hand draw all my drawings. Okay, shaking your head, I know. Yeah, they made you work for that. <laughs> they did, indeed. Yeah, I had to start off. Yeah, day one of the apprenticeship was how to use a hacksaw. Day two was how to use a file. And then you had to, <laughs> then had to do all the manual machines and then eventually got onto the CNC. But, I mean, to be honest with you, but when I got into engineering, I, I, was, I didn't have any... I'd been into jet skis and working on that's that, but sort of spattering, that sort of thing, but never anything as technical. I've really had no idea what I was getting in for when I started this whole thing, but I do absolutely love it. So how does that, I, I don't quite know the, how the school system works there. Like, was that straight out of school that you went into an internship or were you already going no, to? No, no. Like, how does um, that all work? So a lot of people, I mean, there's two routes you can take, really. You can you could do school and then go to college or you can go to do your A-levels, and then uh, go off to university. I didn't quite have the grades to go to university, and I, that didn't really interest me. Either. didn't like the idea of getting loads of debt. And then, for, I mean, from what I was hearing at the time, it's got even worse now. You'd go and get your degree and then not even be able to get a job. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so that's the route some people take. But I, 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 was, I originally wanted to go into my family business was working as a market trader, <laughs> selling fruit and veg. So oh, wow. I, did that, I did that from the age of, like, I don't know, 10, 11, until I was, till I was about 18. Yeah, so when I was working at the, the, in, in the research lab there, I was, I was obviously on an apprentice wage, but then on a Saturday I'd go, go and uh, sell fruit and veg on the market still still. But yeah, no, so I, I didn't start my apprenticeship until I was 18. So while I was working on a fruit and veg store, I'd, I'd started off applying for IT apprenticeships. And because I was, yeah, I was, so at the time I was definitely, sort of 16 i was addicted to gaming <laughs> hardcore pc <laughs> gaming that was i had no social life that was all i did and then yeah i didn't get any didn't get a look in really for any of the it apprenticeships oh yeah i forgot so i'd come out of school and done a year at college doing an it qualification which was meant to be two years and then i stopped after the first year because i realized that it's not really i mean this is not world of warcraft this isn't what, <laughs> this right. is not what i wanted to be doing and then yeah i started applying for apprenticeships pretty randomly really i sort of what sparked me to look at engineering was on one of the one of the jet ski part sort of websites. They there's a, a guy in the UK. He sort of CNC machines parts, and I saw that and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then yeah, that was sort of what sparked me to go on to apply for some engineering apprenticeships. And then I had I got an interview, which was one place, which was uh, Carl Zeiss Microscopes. Oh really? Cambridge. Yeah, I'm, I, I got through. To, there was literally about it started off about thirty of us. It was a, it was like a, like a TV show. Really, it was crazy. So it was like stage one. We had to pass all these tests, and then there was, I got through to like the last, last eight, I think, and then yeah, didn't go no further. And then I had a, an interview at the MRC, the the research lab, and I went there for an interview. I can remember it quite well actually. They one of the sort of tests they did was, here's a, a small toolmaker's device that had been disassembled, and there was some instructions and. It was basically assemble it and sort of being nervous and young and naive. I, I looked at it, didn't look at the instructions. I just started putting bolting stuff together. And so I've sort of didn't, I did all, I did all right in the interview, sort of answering the questions and that. I think having my interest in jet skiing sort of, uh, put me in good standing as it were, but they originally offered the apprenticeship to someone else. And then he actually accepted it, then declined. And then <laughs> one day I was working on the, on the market stall and I got a phone call. It was, uh, yeah, you've, you've, would like to offer you the job. So 
I can, I can remember actually uh, hadn't even hung up the phone yet, given it up. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and then and then hung up. And then on my first day, my boss was like, "Yeah, I heard I heard you giving a giving a whoop whoop," which is <laughs> quite funny. That's great. So then the production shop you went to, what kind of work was that? And you know, what did you learn? What kind of machines did you work on there? So there, they do a sort of theatre automation. So in like the London West End, a lot of the shows there. I mean, one of they, one of them they did as a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and there's 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 a part where the car sort of goes over the crowd, and there's like yeah, full full size car that gets like flown over the crowd, and they make all the all the framework and sort of the automation behind that. It's very similar to what a brand and a machine shop outlaw does. I say that, yeah. Yeah, I, like, he likes likes chatting to me, and I like chatting to him on on the Insta. I think as as we all do, is we comment on each other stuff. That's really cool. And then, what kind of machinery did you guys have there? Well, when I worked there, it was so picture this: a big, big warehouse full of people doing MIG welding and grinding all day, every day. So it's like dust everywhere. And then at the back in the corner was the machine shop. It's not like that now. They've moved into a new facility but and got all new sort of Doosans and still some of the older machines. But yeah, they're sort of running production. There was a a, a Conquest, Hardinge Conquest. They had a big, fair-sized fair mill, three-axis, which they did have a Nikon four-axis for. And then the rest was these free axis dead bed mills. So no tool changer, but they were used for like, I mean, one of the jobs I did was like a four meter long beam and you had to drill holes every like 200 millimeters. So you'd like drill five, they had like one and a half meter travel or two meter travel, something like that. And you'd drill a few, slide it along, drill a few more. And then they also had, which was, which is what I was on mostly was some two axis proto track laves, quite fair sized ones. One of them, 425, had, did have a, a four position tool changer on it, but not like a, a turret. It was like, imagine a manual tool post on a, on a manual lathe, and it literally just rotated 90 degrees automatically. <laughs> right. So you think yeah. if you, if you had a boring bar in there sticking up like 200 millimeters, cause it was quite large stuff. So what's that in, in American? That's eight, eight inch or so that, that thing would be rotating 90 degrees. So when you had your turning tool on the other side, it would be like hitting into the back of the garden. <laughs> it was quite oh. a bit of a nightmare really, but. But I learned a lot there. I sort of hadn't done much turn until I went there. And yeah, sort of, yeah, learned things like doing a part in, in turning the front and sort of chamfering the back of the bore with an ID grooving tool, sort of chamfering your part off before you part it off. So just sort of saving operations and stuff like that. Great. And then, so I saw on your Instagram at some point, one of your jobs got a, what was it, like a DMU ultrasonic? Was that your yes. next job? Yeah. So that was where I spent the last. I mean, two years ago now, the last four years. So managed to get a job as a, a chief technician at the Whittle Laboratory, which is where the jet, in, jet engine was invented back in the day by Frank Whittle. Yeah, so that was that was a really, really cool job. So the setup is basically there's a, it's a, another research lab, but for aerospace research, doing stuff for sort of Rolls-Royce, Siemens, Mitsubishi, and so, some other random stuff as well. Like they did some stuff for the Olympics cycling team. They did some, They I didn't have anything to do with this one, but they machined a leg, like a, a, a sort of, a, it was like the, the a bottom half of, of a leg. And then they put that in a wind tunnel and they were testing like the aerodynamic effect of, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit silly, isn't it? But yeah, but yeah, that place was pretty cool. They had a uh, few manual machines and also, uh, that was where we got XYZ 750LR, sort of the new, when I was, 
sort of involved in deciding a new machine to buy. We got that, but also had the same machine as what I've got now, the XYZ Mini Mill 560, but it had a, a Nikon trunnion on it, a five axis trunnion. So that was when my first step into five axis, which was quite cool. We had machines sort of a, a aerospace blades, sort of turbine blades, fan blades, all kinds of cool stuff on there. And then, yeah, sort of in the, I guess about a year before I left, Siemens gave us yeah, that's, they actually gave us the, the, the DMU 85 ultrasonic, which is just an absolute beast. So I, I got to play with that a little bit before I left, got to run a few parts on there and sort of help sort of implement the thing. And that was when we looked into getting, so I'm a big fusion fanboy. It's sort of a love hate relationship, actually, to be honest with you, like, like most people, I think, but yeah, we started looking into Hypermill and not Campley. It's, I can't remember the name of it now. Vericut. Yes, very cut. That's the one. Yes. So very cut and hyper mill because yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a bit of a story on, on the DMU. So new machine. Well, it was actually, t it was two years old when it came to us. It's got a, it's an 850 millimeter table on there. So it's a giant thing and it moves quick, quicker than any machine I've ever run as well. But it's got a 48,000 RPM spindle on there, a 63E, but yeah, so hadn't run it. I mean, there was me and another guy, Ollie, shout out to Watson Engineering, another UK machinist. He, him, well, it wasn't him actually who was running it. It was one of the academics, Alejandro, machining this beautiful fan blade. This thing was, I mean, it was like 1.5 millimeters thick, like twisted round, like, so I know this is audio, so people won't be able to see it, but yeah, it was, yeah, a really twisted shape of a fan blade, basically. And the way they were machining it, because Fusion wasn't giving us smooth, smooth enough code, one of the, he is a genius, uh, James Taylor, he, he basically used MATLAB to write a script which took the, the actual points of the CAD. So it wasn't looking at the CAD, it was looking at like, the raw data from their, their CFD and making a five-axis fully simultaneous, both roughing and finishing toolpath, oh. which was... Yeah, absolutely amazing. Really good until the guy, an, one of the academics who was running it, he's never really run machines before. So, I mean, so you can see where this is going. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, I'm, he, I'm already he, braced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he deleted, he was pasting together some codes he'd, and he deleted one of the lines, which was the retract move. Oh, no. And he basically plunged the entire spindle into... <laughs> into the block and uh, basically snapped the spindle pretty much oh. so this was this was of course it's on a friday afternoon literally just about to go home it was me ollie as has watson engineering and and alejandro the guy still there and heard this almighty bang and i was like oh oh that's that sounds like it come from the dmg oh. so i wonder what wander over and have a look and there it is you see the the literally the the tool holder was like i mean you never want to see this the spindle's there and the tool, the hook, the tool is like at a 30 degree angle, but still clamped in the spindle. Oh, <laughs> and there, there was, there was oil coming out of the, the spindle, but obviously the machine went into sort of e-stop state and because it was all, everything it had sort of stopped itself at a certain point, but obviously not, not quick enough. So we had to, <laughs> we were like, what do we do? We can't really leave it like this. So, cause obviously oil's still coming out. We need to sort of, I mean, to be able to, to sort of what i was worried about was everything was under tension like the trunnion the spindle head like everything i was like yeah i don't want to do like permanent damage any more permanent damage has already been done so out comes the angle grinder oh no <laughs> out comes the angle grinder and not, not just a small angle grinder but it was a big 
big ass angle grinder. It's like an eight inch one. And there's there's Ollie's angle grinding it while I'm holding a bit of rag behind the spindle to sort of catch the sparks to stop them from sort of going. We're worried about it going in sort of just damaging everything else and and going back up the spindle as well. Because we're like, it might still be all right. You don't know. It might just be like the clamping mechanism bank or something like that. Then the bloody thing set on fire. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, oh, I've not really man. told this story publicly. So it went from really bad to way worse. Super quickly. Way worse. <laughs> way worse. <laughs> but yeah, so we got it cut out and then managed to move. It sort of released attention on everything. Pulled the. It was on the Lang zero point. So we sort of undone the zero point and moved it all out of the way. And then, yeah, so that it's basically a thousand pounds for every RPM of the spindle. So it was something like including labor and and the, the re, a refurbished spindle was, it was about £60,000. Yeah. So I mean, I guess they, they must be really glad they got that machine for free then because... Totally, totally, yeah. Imagine if you just paid like a million euros or whatever it was new and then you'd done that. So that, I mean, we, yeah, the sort of technicians had said which people who aren't trained shouldn't be using the machine anyway, but, yeah. but that's it. Well, and so, yeah, hand that, editing code on a... a full five axis tool path and then not simulating it or anything like that's exactly that's a recipe for disaster right there oh definitely definitely so yeah so we got them very cut and hyper mill and that was literally just just as i left just as i left to go full time was when ollie was just getting that implemented so i spoke to him since i said have they ever have they been running any more matlab code without verifying it he's like yep <laughs> like, oh. guys guys let's learn from our mistakes here <laughs> that's crazy it's like that's a sixty thousand dollar error, like what? They're sixty thousand pounds, so it's even more than that in dollars. Yeah, that's yeah. bananas. So hypermill itself is obviously it's, it's expensive, and and Vericut wasn't actually as expensive as we first thought. We got an educational license for that, um, sort of an educational slash research because they are there are students that are working in that place. But hypermill itself, I mean, yeah, it was like I think it was twenty five thirty grand or something like that, but. I mean that's that's two spindles. No, sorry, two uh, two hypermill licenses is is one spindle. So right, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nuts. Well, let's get into some of these questions. Both Brandon, Machine Shop Outlaw, and Mister Horrocks asked, "Where's that MTH barbecue vest?" The vest, yeah. I, I think I might have outdone Ratworks Engineering here and held it for maybe as long as he did. But no, so it's been boxed up and sent. To, it's going on to a UK machinist. You may well follow him. But it, yeah, it, it, I, I sent it, and then it got it got sent back to the place I sent it from. So it's currently sitting at, at my local convenience store, waiting for me to go and resend it. Oh, so I, I don't know that. They didn't say any reason why on there, but I suspect it might have been over the weight that I said it was or something like that. So, um, oh, that's frustrating. Yeah, so that'll be getting moved. That will get to. It will eventually get to a UK machinist, and then I don't know who else it will go on to. I, I, when is when's IMTS? September. Oh, September. So there's a little bit of time. A little yeah. bit of time to get it to a few more people. Yeah, I think it should get back stateside. <laughs> <laughs> at this point it's probably almost too heavy to wear anymore so i, I look forward to seeing the state yeah, it's well, in at IMTS. Yeah. yeah when i was wearing it i was it was like weighing me down putting me down so it's quite cool it's good fun yeah definitely let's see brandon also asked how much do you hate your freddy and i'm guessing not at all it seems like ah uh, yes all the time. i absolutely love the freddy yeah so that was i i'm at i actually won the freddy in a instagram competition run by a CNC machinist Tom 
and Freddie. I think it was his 3,000 followers giveaway. Freddie and has been they're a great company. Simon there is great, great, great team there. But they they've given quite a few machines and giveaways, which is I think is amazing to sort of give back to the community, especially in in the UK. I mean, you guys in the in for what it seems over here, there's lots of stuff going on sort of as instant machinist in in the US, but over here it's not. I mean, it's, I, f- I feel like the UK sort of machining scene is quite dated compared to the, the US. But yeah, no, Freddie is an absolute game changer. I, f- I think you've considered getting one before, haven't you? Yeah, I've, I've talked to Simon a bit, and I'm, I'm, I haven't quite pulled the trigger yet. Like the, right now, we're in a stage where that money is probably better spent on things that will like speed up, speed us up yeah. getting orders out to customers. But yeah. Man, it'd be so nice because every time I have to deal with coolant, it's like, okay, I need to, I need to get that Freddy. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's one of them things. You, you, yeah, you. Because I'm very grateful that I actually won it and got to get one. Sort of pretty much. I mean, I'd only been going sort of six to eight months, I think, when I got it. And yeah, because like you say, I wouldn't have been able to spend that amount of money on, on, on like a. It's, it's, it's a nice to have. I mean, the thing is, it does save so much time. And it, and like you say, if you've got, let's say you've got to change your coolant at the moment, I'm I'm like, no problem at all. I'll filter it out. I haven't got to get wet. I haven't got to, I mean, I've done it the hard way before at the Whittle Lab. We changed over coolants and we were using, I can't remember what they're called. Actually, I won't even name them because they're not worthy of naming. Because <laughs> Freddie is the only name in, in, in coolant filtration. But no, we, we ended three tanks out and it took three days of filling up these tiny little hoovers basically and there was so much mess all over the floor and we couldn't recycle any of it it was just all i mean it wasn't getting filtered as it was getting put it was an absolute disaster so when i did get to use the freddy i mean just yeah i mean the other thing is as well like up which i use it a lot for is you know you've just run your part and you've got loads of deep holes or something like that and you know what it's like you get your air gun in there you blow it all out and then all of a sudden you're wearing it all but just getting the freddy in there suck it all up and all that coolant, instead of it getting sprayed on the floor, it's actually getting saved. So, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Freddy. So, f- thank you very much to the Freddy crew. Well, yeah, speaking of them, Freddy Products asked, they wanted me to ask you about your sneakers. Yes, I've <laughs> he said he had to bring this up. Do you have a Lidl, Lidl's in in America? It's a, it's a, a shop, like a supermarket. If we do, I don't think there's any on my coast, but right, probably okay. not. <laughs> Uh, do you have uh, you have like Audi? Do you is it Audis? I, I think we have Audis on the East Coast. Yeah, right. Okay, so basically Lidl is basically like it's the cheapest supermarket you can get. Like it's the cheapest stuff you get, and they were, were selling Lidl branded trainers, and I was straight in there to buy them. <laughs> I, was, I was wearing them, and ever all, all the UK guys uh, were taking a mick out of me, but I was wearing them for about six months straight, as they were the comfiest trainers I've ever had. <laughs> so yeah that's the story great. behind that okay that, that makes sense I, I get it was one of those like i don't know what this question means but i guess we'll talk about <laughs> mr horrocks as- also asked if you'll ever have a productive night shift that doesn't involve learning how to rebuild machines so what's the story behind these well i mean which one do you want to hear i mean i've that it's been worse the last sort of in the last month i've done the most machine repair that i've ever done oh no um, 
It's been a nightmare. So it started off with, well, I was having intermittent, I've got a, I didn't mention it earlier, actually. I've got a, a Hartford VMC with a fourth axis on it, which has got a, it's all Mitsubishi control. And I think it's similar to Viper. It's, ba- it's basically a Taiwanese machine. It's, it's fully, it's all on three axis, all boxway, but it's a, it's a, it's a beast. But it's, it's, yeah, it's all boxway, but it's got this weak ass 8,000 RPM spindle which you can stall by just looking at it, I think. But I was having intermittent issues with that, that it would all of a sudden just e-stop and it's giving me this error on the y-axis. Turned out that it was a bad encoder, which just recently got sorted. So that took about a week of the machine being down. But what ha- actually happened was the coolant had got, well, coolant had got through the through the way covers. And I, I thought on most machines that the the dry, the sorry, the motor for the y-axis was like at the back. But this one is at the front, right in the middle, like, where all the coolant is constantly dripping down in front of you, it's, it's right there. Yeah, so that would that had been filled up with coolant somehow. I don't know if the O-ring had gone or whatever, but yeah, so I sourced a new encoder for that, which was great fun. And then, <laughs> yeah, the other debacle was what I mentioned about the the lathe destroying itself. But all these things, I mean, I, I, I work all kinds of hours. I'm working very often past midnight and, and sometimes starting early in the morning. But when I, it seems to be I'll... I'll, I'll do a work day, then I'll go home, see my family and the kids, and I'll have a bit of dinner, put the kids to bed, and then I'll come back for for the night shift. I think, right, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get caught up. I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be really productive. And then before I know it, uh, so basically we're we're in this chat together, the Secret Swarf Society. So I'll give them a shout out. But it's a few of the UK machinist lads, and yeah, we all like to take the mick out of each other, but also very very helpful. So I'm <laughs> very often in there, like. Guys, how do I how do I fix this? Oh no! Like when, when, like when the chuck got destroyed, I had I had never taken I didn't even know how to get the chuck off. I'd never dealt with taking a hydraulic chuck off before. I was like I didn't even know. So what had actually damaged on it was the the master jaws that actuate in and out that the top jaws bolt on. It had snapped the whole drawer off, but it as it had snapped that off, it snapped sort of the T slot that the that they get bolted into. Do you, do you, do you, have you done much turning in your career, Dylan? And, a little bit. Uh, my last job, we had, I don't know, 10 lathes or something like that. And so I had I'd done a few jobs on those. Not as much as I'd like and definitely not en- enough to be any kind of expert on it. <laughs> Is it do you see a lathe in your future? Or you? I've, I've heard you talk you'd like a five axis next, but... Yeah, I, I think that that's where we our money is best spent for our current customer base. Eventually, we, we'll get a lathe, I'm sure, or you know, some kind of mill turn or something like that. But mm. right now, straight most to of the, the mill turn. We see, well, <laughs> yeah, lathe, go straight to the mill turn. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what the the future holds. But like right now, I have enough lathe shops I can sub work out to that I really trust. That I'd much rather just give them business and focus on what I do best. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. But that, that that sounds absolutely terrifying. Like I I've seen what you're talking about, like on the the chucks, and like I can't imagine something like that breaking. Yeah, the chucks sitting over there on the on the shelf of shame at the moment. That shelf's getting a bit getting a bit full actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to get back up and running with both machines because that's I, I Brad and I were actually just talking about this yesterday, like how we. We loved our Kitamura. We were so happy with it, but we were so happy to see it leave because like, especially when it was our only machine, there was the constant fear of like, oh, this could go down at any moment like this. You know, it's yeah. old. It's got issues. We we know that it, it has issues like this. This is our lifeblood and it could just like all of a sudden be down for an indeterminate amount of time. 
A hundred percent. I mean, my, yeah, three of my machines are nineties machines. So yeah, I'm living that fear every day. At least I've got a bit of redundancy now. I've got two mills and two laves. So if one, <laughs> hopefully they don't all go at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think luck and statistics are on your side there. So yeah, it should be all right. Definitely. Yeah. When it was our only machine, it was like, man, cause we had it go down what twice or three times over the years. And of course, you know, it, it doesn't go down when you're not doing anything. It goes down when you're in the middle of an order. So 100%. It, was, it was always yeah. the worst. And yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough. What sort of stuff went wrong with the kit? Mirror? I've, ne- uh, I've never seen one. So I don't know. It wasn't a horizontal machine, was it? That was a vertical, was it? Yeah, that was a vertical. It was always, well, not always. So let's see. The first time, the first two times were, I, I, I think it was like capacitors or something on the main board going bad. And so we like it, it would go into this crazy error state and not be able to do anything. And, you know, you could restart it and it would get through all of the safety checks. And then, you know, one minute to three hours somewhere in that span, it would shut off again. And so you couldn't use it reliably. <laughs> and so we sent it out to a third party company in the U.S. and they said they fixed it and, you know, reflowed the board or whatever. And then it worked for maybe six months and then it died again, same exact thing. And then we found out that we could send the board directly to Yaskala who owns Yasnak or right. who, who bought the, the rights to it or whatever. And they'll repair any board for 50% the cost of a new board. Like no matter what, what's wrong with it. Like it could be literally one <laughs> two cent capacitor that they yeah. have to reflow or replace. And it's, you know, I think for our, our board, it was like two grand or something like that to, to repair it. Yeah, but it, it meant that we were back up and running and it worked nonstop through the remainder of our ownership of it. And then let's see, another one was that we had, we thought we had replaced all of the batteries for like the ATC, APC, all, you know, cause everything was absolute encoders. And it turns right. out we had missed the one for the tool changer. Right. There was, there was one that was like kind of hidden behind a cover on one of the boards and that went out one day and our tool changer lost its home position and wouldn't change tools. And that took, I want to say three or four days for us to figure out. And I ended up finding some super obscure YouTube video that had like 20 views from some random Yaznak repair place that talked about, it wasn't even for our machine. It was just for the spin or the, the servo and servo drive that controlled our ATC. And I right. ended up having, you have to like unplug one of the plugs and short something on the servo itself for a couple minutes so that it resets and then you have to tell the machine to tell it to reset and like reset its home position and finally we figured it out but like it was that one was truly terrifying because for us when we had looked into it when the board went out to have Yaznak out here it was like two grand before they even looked at the machine because they're they're in California so it was you know a flight a rental car, a hotel room, a per diem, plus, well, I think it was 150 or 200 bucks an hour once they got here. And so I was like, Damn. you know, this is going to be a $5,000 bill or something like that by the yeah, end of that's it. Mad. Yeah. yeah. And the worst part when you're working on an old machine like that is you, you know so much about it. So you've spent hours troubleshooting already and they're going to come out and do the exact same thing and yeah. waste you yeah. know, waste your money and time doing exactly yeah, they're not going to listen to you are they if you go yeah. yeah i've checked this out and you have to go well i need to check it myself yeah yeah and then uh, i think the only physical thing we ever had go wrong was I-, I wasn't even at the shop brad was there and i was at work 
and he sends me a picture and I think it was the APC. I don't remember if there was like a power fluctuation or if it had lost its batteries as well or something, but it threw one of the pallets into the machine and missed like it like rotated. I, I think what happened is it rotated halfway. And so the, the, like the, pegs of the bed were not in their locating place yet and then it tried to rip the pallets apart and went and literally dumped one of those pallets into the machine off of the the locating studs and so i like left work immediately and went and basically just had to like get in the machine and manhandle this full table back yeah, on how did you the, get it out would you just give it, just use your muscles and gain yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much like uh, brad brad was on the outside of the machine i'd like got inside the machine and straddled the y-axis and just kind of manhandled it up thankfully it was you know a, a small 30 taper machine you know if this was a, a 40 taper or a 40 by 20 there's no way i could have done it and it, it, it no. was at you know I, it was at the limits of me hurting myself as it was and yeah, i barely 100%. got it back up on there so yeah it, it, so was it a two-way pallet changer on there? Was it? Is that what it was? It just one that two that swapped around? Or? Yeah, when they they come together and rotate one eighty, so it wasn't like one of the Mitico ones where it like you know shoves them in sideways and then grabs the next one. These mm-hmm. ones actually just rotated, kind of like a brother R four fifty or R six fifty does. I don't know if you've seen those where like they're basically a big fourth axis and you know, a table on one side, table on the other. And so this one, they would both lift up, rotate around and then drop back into the machine. Right. right. But, but yeah, it was, that was one of the worst texts I've ever got because he, it was like zero explainer yet. It was just the picture. And I just see the bed like oh, in just the, the machine. That's how yeah. That's how and then like, <laughs> and I, you know, I respond back, you know, what the hell is that? And he's like, Oh man, I don't know what's happened. Like the, the thing just like freaked out and yanked the bed off. I was like, okay, I, I'm leaving work. I'll be right there. And yeah, the, thankfully it, it could have been so much worse. Like I've seen people crash horizontals that have very similar attachment for the pallets and shear the attachment points. Oh, and like, if that had happened, I don't know that we could have even got one, like or, yeah. repaired it. So thank goodness that didn't happen. Do you know where that machine is now? Have you, is it still going? <laughs> I assume so. Yeah. We sold it to a used machinery dealer that said they, they sold it to a shop that had a bunch of Kitamuras and, and needed it for some kind of large production run. And I, I think it's one of those no news is good news cases because we never yeah. heard anybody complain about anything. So. Well, it's out of your head. What's it's one of them with machines? I mean, within reason, it's, once you've sold it, that's that's that is the gamble with buying used machines. I mean, yeah. So, so, so you got your I don't know what they what it's called the the dual column machine. You got that new? Did you the brother? Yeah, uh, yeah, the right, six hundred. So yeah, that was new. And the one before that, the the first. Is that the first brother you had yeah, before so, that? Yeah, so name? technically both of our newer brothers are somewhat used. The S700 had been an IMTS machine. And wow. actually, I remember seeing it. It was used in like, I don't remember what brand it was, but it was some brand that had like either an electric or a coolant driven spindle. And so like it had like, you know, a hundred hours of cutting time on it, but almost no hours of spindle on time because they were just running a... Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 So it's basically um, warming up for 100 hours. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then the F600 was the demo F600 in the Chicago office for like two years. So, you know, it, it had been used, like the table had, you know, some dings in it and stuff. Like, the, Oh, really? You, oh, yeah, like that because they, 
I think it's one of three in the US. So they used it, like Brother used it to like test the machine and see if it matched up to Jap- the Japan Brothers claims. And, you know, they did a lot of customer demos on it and things like that. But yeah, it's been great so, so far. So the Brothers, that they are they all made in Japan or is there, the, yeah, They right are, except for there are special ones made in China for the Chinese market. Because, you know, Apple uses um, all the big Foxconn, things like that. They've got fleets of them, but they're specific to the Chinese market. And they, they're not, in, unless you go through some weird means, they're not resold outside of China. Right, right. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, and then, then our oldest brother, which is the TC, we got from, actually, Dennis Rathi. Yes, so which is a shop tour the other, the other week from yeah. Uh, John yeah, Saunders, so yeah. He mentions in there real briefly that you know they sold their original brothers off to a couple of instant machinists, and we we got one of his, and right. you know it's what twenty two years old now and still making good parts and running. oh I didn't know it was that old oh, yeah it looks, yeah it's, looks in good shape yeah it's great it's really a testament to just how dead simple they are like we, Brad and I were joking the other day that like inside the Kitamura cabinet if you took all of the electronics you could probably build like five other brothers because you, <laughs> yeah. you look inside a brother cabinet and you're like oh there's like enough room to climb in here like it, it's yeah. such they're like the drives are so tiny all the electronics are so tiny there's so much unused room it's really nice do you have like so you said for the kitamura for the yasnak it would have been a lot of money to get someone out to look at it have you got people close to you that can can repair that should touch wood hopefully it doesn't but should anything go wrong yeah yeah yamazin who's the brother distributor in the US. They're fantastic. That's one reason that we bought the new brothers is that when we got our old brother, we needed to upgrade the memory board to the newest rev and then, you know, reload all the parameters. And our Yamazan office was like Johnny on the spot, getting us the parts, getting people out to do all the work and, you know, got it done super quickly and efficiently. And and because of that, we were like, oh, well, you know, if they're going to service a 20 year old machine like this, surely they'll service a new machine even better. Yeah, so yeah. that's been really nice. And the machine came from Dennis with a brand new spindle inbox. Like, I guess they had bought a spare. And so you had a spare spindle with it. Yeah. We, so we still have it. it we the, the <laughs> sell the, as far as I know, the original spindle. That's a nice peace of mind, isn't it? Cause you know, yeah. God forbid you do do anything. This is just this swap it straight in. Exactly. Well, and anytime I have to do parts that I'm like, yeah, this is really sketchy. I'm like, yeah, put it in the TC. Worst case, we got to replace the spindle. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to ask you a little bit about the brother machines because we don't really, they're not very common over here. I know of a couple of, there's a place, CTPE on Instagram, they've got some brothers. What What is the control on a brother? Is it, is it their own control? Yeah, it's their own control. From what I understand, it's based on Linux CNC. But yes, yeah, since the age of our first machine, they've been building their own controls. So the, the right. TC is the A0. We don't have a B0 control. Both of our speedios are C0 controls. And then they just came out and you know, all the new machines that they just released are D0 controls with like, you know, touchscreen and fanciness and all that stuff. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Do they have memory? Like, are they, they're not like Fanuc where you have like three kilobytes. Like they are like three of my machines here. Better than <laughs> Fanuc. They are still not like, you know, Hide Nine or Siemens. Like th- there's no hard drives on them. They do. On the, I think the D Zero has like a few gigs of memory. I want to say that our Speedios have, you know, 
tens of megabytes, if not hundreds of oh, megabytes. That's loads. That is yeah. lo- te- te- if you're talking megabytes, you're talking yeah, right. you're, you're laughing. Yeah. Right. Our, our Kitamura was 512 kilobytes, and like that yeah. was limiting for sure. I'm sure. You yeah. Know. So what did you do? Did you drip feed to that? Because I've got a. I struggled with the, the with the Hartford mill with the Mitsubishi on there. I struggled. Shout out to RC Kev, another UK machinist. He lent me his micro DNC sort of drip feed box. And now I can just plug in a USB and it will run it straight off the USB, which is absolutely lovely. But yeah, it's the only way I can run a program on there, really. Oh, wow. To, to be honest, usually I, I was very good about getting efficient code out of Fusion, like using lots of smoothing, lots of, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, if yeah. there was parts that I, like the Autodesk Cam Challenge parts that we made that was on the Kitamura, you know, all the machine logos. Those mm-hmm. I ended up having to just load multiple programs to finish because we never really got a great workflow going for DNC to that machine. And we probably should have, but we just didn't really need to most of the time. And then when we needed to, we just broke up the programs. Yeah, it's one of them things, isn't it? It's like you know you should you know you should sit down and figure it out, but you've got parts to make. Like let's you need to just get on with it. Yeah. It's really tough. It's it's a really tough position to be. Like I'm in that position right now. I've got more work than we really can handle, but I also have all this laying stuff just sitting there waiting for me because I have to pull both vices off the S seven hundred and put the laying stud pattern in the bottom of them. And right. it's like and I don't have time. Like that takes down two machines pretty much. Like I have mm-hmm. to take the vices off the S700 and then I have to put them in the F600 to machine the pattern. And it's like, all right, I'm, I, I need to do this, but also I don't have time to do this. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. Have you? Th- I, I thought that when I went full time that I'd have all this extra time to just like, yeah, get all these things wrapped up. But I mean, the work is just like, I mean, just increased and increased. And Which is yeah, a good thing. I, it's a good problem. I'm to not have. complaining. I'm yeah. not complaining at all. It's, it's when I've got no work and I've done all my odd jobs, and I'm then I'll be getting worried. But yeah, it's definitely hard. Yeah. Well, and Brad's on full time now. As of last Thursday, I think was his first full time day. Nice. So I'm, I'm hoping now that he's there, it'll free me up to kind of do some more of that higher higher level stuff. I can be like, hey, can you keep running this machine? I'm going to get this done, and then like I, I'll mm-hmm. run his machine while he can get something done. And we've been doing a lot of cleaning and reorganizing and. I'm I'm hopeful that we maybe have a, a period of a month or two to get some stuff done, you know, before people realize that we have more capacity and dump more <laughs> on us. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So you're obviously early doors of having Brad in you. So congrats to imaginary Brad for going full time. <laughs> what's it like sharing your workshop? Because obviously you've been in there full time. I know you've obviously shared it part time, but I, f- I think you said on previous episodes that you guys would sort of tag team. Like one would go in like in the morning or whatever, because it wasn't he working nights yeah. or, or, or strange hours. So how, how have you found it so far? Is he in your way is what I'm asking. <laughs> no, not really. It is weird. Like I'm, I've realized that like I've gotten very used to being just like super quiet and mm. not talking to anybody. And so like now there's somebody there all the time, but it's, it's, it's really nice to have, you know, a friend there to talk to. And, you know, if I've, I'm running stuff that I'm not super sure of, like he, he's got years and years more experience running stainless than I do. Right. That's yeah. All, oh, all he did. And so like, I've, I've know, it's been so nice. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's nice to be like, Hey, you know, I'm drilling 316. Do these like parameters sound logical to you? And just just a you know quick double check is really nice to have. A hundred percent. I mean, oftentimes I'm I'm in here I'm, and I'm I'm doing stuff, and then you just sort of all go go go. 
And then, you know, you're snapping drills, you're breaking demos. I mean, I'm spe- speaking for me here. And yeah, I think working at the at, at previous jobs, like if you, someone would come over and go, oh, what, what, why are you doing it like that for? And and that would make you sort of go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do it that way. Or yeah, this is a sketchy setup. So yeah, it'd be nice to <laughs> have someone to sort of <laughs> check, check you on that sort of thing. Yeah. But, and it's, I think he came out at the perfect time because we are just about to implement, you know, all of these sweeping changes to a, to my workflow and make it our workflow. Like, you know, adding the laying, I really want to set up the container method like Rob Lockwood, ha- you know, has that talk mm-hmm. from AU about. So I'm glad that he's coming on now as I'm implementing these things so that we can implement them together and make them our workflow yeah. rather than just me being like, this is how we're doing it. And him yeah. being like, but I don't like this part of it. Like, I think this is stupid. Yep, yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, what 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 sort of changes are you doing? So, you're bringing in the the lang because you obviously you had the orange, the delta stuff. Yeah. What made you swap over to lang? What didn't you? What didn't? Or, or are you? Or is it just on a different machine that you run in the lang? No, I'm, I'm putting the lang on. I, we since I want to go full five axis and stuff, I I think that the lang provides us a little more uniformity across every machine type that we're going to have. From what I have heard orange is no longer making the subplates and so it's not like i can get another one for the f600 right so i it just i think it makes more sense to go to a uniform system you know holistically on everything and then i i really like i I like my delta vices from orange but they're fairly big and maybe the the new gen that they've been showing up yeah but i i I have like a model i'm making a a single-sided trunnion for the lang vice i bought and it, mm-hmm. I have all three models. I have the Lang, I have the Shunk, and then I have the Orange in there side by side. And, and you can see like it's a significant size difference and weight difference between them. Oh, 100%. I'm a, I'm a huge, I know I'm obviously trying to start selling my own vices, but I'm a huge fan of the Lang. I mean, it's really tough to beat. I mean, I, I've, back in the day, I was using sort of not even. I used to think a Kurt vice was like the, the, the best you could get. But we, there was these, these vices that come with the machines, the XYZ machines. I've, I've got one here actually that does sometimes get used. But I mean, just a clunky old, just imagine the roughest old machine vice you can think of. It was that. So yeah, when we went from the Kurt and then onto the Lang Zero Point, it's absolutely beautiful. So have you got the Lang vices already? Did you get the Avanti Soft Jaws? Or? So right now I just have the Hard Jaws and I have a... What is it? Seventy-seven one ten vice that's right. going to sit. So I have a fifty-two millimeter base that's going to be built into the ninety-degree trunnion, mm-hmm. so that I can turn the vice ninety degrees. You know, either way that fits the part the best. Ah, uh, four plus one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> I've got the ninety-six millimeter on the fourth, and then I've got a four-station ninety-six millimeter that's going to go on the table. Nice, nice. Yeah, and then it, it, once that is proven out and we have the workflow dialed we'll get another 96 millimeter four station for the f as well and then possibly even just a single 96 millimeter plate for the tc if we still have it at that point ah so you're considering losing that machine are you we're getting a bit juicy details here so is that going to make way <laughs> for the next five axis that you've been you've been you've obviously got your eye on we're we're going to kind of see where the rest of the year goes you know now that brad's on full time and that we you know we need to see how much revenue we can generate. We kind of want to go to IMTS and see what's new out there. I, mm-hmm. I think I've talked about it on the podcast. I've got my eye on a C250 from Hermley. If maybe I'm also interested to see what else brother brings to the table this year. So I, we're not really sure where this is all going to go yet. I know that we need to replace the TC because we 
have a lot of parts that need, you know, a ton of 3D machining or probing mm-hmm. or something like that. And the TC is just too old for that stuff. And it's right. worth, you know, still some good money because it's a great mill. And, and we've we've not only kept it up, but improved it since we bought it. So, yeah, we're, we're just going to kind of wait and see. Like if we get anything big, that's not another brother. We're going to have to move shops. And really, I think we're going to have to move shops anyway. So I have yeah. to factor that into kind of the whole plan. I mean, that's probably five or six grand just to move not yeah including i'm literally added I've, rent. I've just i'm just i've had the lease for for me to move into a new unit because let's say where i am it's it's sort of shared my bits mine but the bit out the front is a storage for someone else and i mean i i haven't even got a toilet here which is i'm not too far from my house it's about 10 minute drive but i, I tell you it's not it's not ideal yeah so but yes i'm eyeing up the cost of moving and it's I, honestly, it took me basically a year to find somewhere that in in the in my town that I'd be able to move into. The only other places were like forty thousand square feet, and I'm not quite not quite there yet. So, what's it like where you are for for finding shop space? There's not a ton. There's a, a block of units that we've been looking at for a long time that I think is probably where we'll end up moving. They're just much more expensive than where we are now. Like we really lucked into a place that's a great price and decent, you know, facilities. Like we all share a bathroom, which sucks. I don't have any in-suite water. So like I can't wash parts. Same. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah. you you know, the struggles, the other, like, but we pay, I think 700 bucks a month or something like that, which is great. Yeah. That's quite cheap. Yeah. 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 And then the, the place we're looking at is like 3000 square feet. So, you know, three times the space, it's got some air conditioned offices in the front. So we can set up like inspection and and shipping and all that, but it's, I think 24, 2,500 bucks a month. So it's a a big step up as far as our monthly costs. Yeah. So before I found this place, I was the only other available space was it was 3,200 square feet. And like you say, it was also, it, it had a new roof. It's got solar panels on it, all LED lighting. There's like two offices, but the price of it was just, yeah, but about the same sort of money. And then they want six months deposit up front. I mean, Ooh. I just, uh, what, what's it, what are the sort of standards for, for where, where, what's it like over there for deposits and stuff? I'm not really sure. I, I want to say we only did a month for our current place, but that was also like six years ago. And now real estate's insane. You know, they can yeah. kind of do whatever yeah. they want now because 100%. what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause it's, yeah, it's in, 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 in short supply everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm both looking forward to and not looking forward to moving. Like I would love some more space. We are really tightly packed in where we are right now, but Again, it just means ballooning that monthly break-even point even more, which is never a fun thing. Oh no, hundred percent. Yeah, so I mean that is one thing that's nice. What I've done, yeah, I've got older machines, but I've paid for all of them except the first one. I've paid for them outright. Got two of them from auction, and one, which was a smoking deal, the Hitachi Seeky was through for a, a friend. That was actually a UK machine. This one of his old work buddies was selling it. But yeah, no, it's nice not to have a big payment over your head. Yeah, because some, t- I mean, I don't know what you guys are like, but cash flow is my biggest, biggest struggle. Like at the moment, I know I've got a lot of my customers were paying me sort of when work was done. Then they'd moved to like sort of net thirty. One of them's on net sixty, which is just oh. so annoying because it's like I've done the work, I've <laughs> I've paid out for everything, and now I'm just sort of waiting to be paid for it. So yeah, it's not not fun. No, I, we had a customer. 
a fairly big customer of ours. We thought we were on net 30 payment terms with them. And I think they went through an internal like purchasing change or something. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't see it in the original documents, but now we're on net 45. And I was like, well, where'd that extra 15 days come from? Like I, Why net I was, 45? <laughs> I don't know. I can, we had, we had a few unpaid invoices and I reached out to their person and I was like, Hey, you know what's going on with this? She's like, Oh, well you've still got 15 days left on, or, you know, it was like 12 days or something like that on the, yeah. the terms. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I just, you know, misread the document. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No, they've done a slide one there. Yeah. yeah it, it's possible. I don't know. I, I, it's not worth it to really dive into it, but it was like, oh, that's interesting. I thought it was not 30. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've expected that money to come in. You're like, right, I'm going to be a bit more comfortable, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I've, de- I've definitely been there. <laughs> yeah. One, well, it's tough. Like as you start getting bigger jobs, you've got to lay out more money for material and all that. Mm. And, you know, th- that's immediate. Or, you know, maybe you've got terms with your material supplier if you're lucky, but it's not. Yeah. it's it's tough it can definitely be tough yeah yeah what what are material prices like for you guys at the minute because here it's just i mean steel and aluminium are just like literally double if you can get it if you can actually even get it within the next few months it just seems to be double the price which is yeah ideal It, it is pretty crazy i think we're we're fairly lucky in that most of our customers are willing to pay for expedite stuff. So like I bought buy a lot of my material from McMaster, which I know is charging me 2x what my local supplier Oh, really? Wow. Oh, sure. But like McMaster is next day for us. So like I know tomorrow, if I order something today, tomorrow I come into the shop, it's going to be there. It's going to be right. Or if it's not, they'll make it right within a day. Like it's, I'm paying for the reliability more than anything because one of our local suppliers is probably the worst business I've ever dealt with. (laughs) <laughs> but you do a lot of you're doing sort of small run stuff aren't you so if like if you were doing production jobs that you probably would be able to factor that cost in but if 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 you're doing sort of smaller stuff could you do a lot of that what are you doing a lot of aluminium and stainless and yeah and yeah and and it's stuff? onesie twosie stuff it's it's i mean yeah. like eight parts is a lot for me from most really? of my customers oh yeah all right yeah i sent out an order last week that was five or six part numbers, all of a different material and all, I think one piece each. Right. So that, that's it sounds, more... it, it's, it sounds fun though. Cause it's, I mean, I'll get some jobs in and it's, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm done with it. Like there it's, it's nothing exciting. It's like a top turned top hat or a plate, a block with holes. And it's just like, right. Okay. <laughs> Give me something a bit more fancy now. Right. Well, the last question. Oh, actually, we had one. It was just a shout out from Turbo Sally saying, you know, shout out from a guy across the pond with almost the same exact machine as as yours. So he was just, I guess, he's got the yes. same as yes, your Hartford. Very, yeah, Hartford's eight fifty. They're not very common these machines. Well, yeah, I guess they weren't very popular. They're definitely a, sort of a lower lower end machine, but it's one. Well, it's paid for itself quite a few times over. So I'm quite. It's yeah. Besides paying for that encoder, which wasn't fun, but. Yeah, she is. Yeah, very, very nice. Nice to have a fourth axis because I went from having full five axis. I mean, that DMU at my disposal, and before that, sort of the the mini mill with the five axis training on there was sort of my baby. And then you're yeah, going back to three axis. Was like, oh, wish I could just do this in one and done. Right. Just, do you know what I mean? It's, I can sort of do it now on the fourth axis, but it's. Uh, I haven't figured out actually on this machine the simultaneous fourth axis. I can't figure out if it's a parameter setting or if it's my post maybe, but. I could do positional 
on the fourth axis, absolutely fine. But anytime, like I was trying to do a wrapped two detour path, and it was a sort of a, just debearing a, a, a radial, or what would that be, radial axial slot, a slot round the round the round the round the diameter, mm-hmm. and it just it it goes to the start position, and it just does a full three sixty of the of the spin the the trunnion. Sorry. Oh, that's bizarre. Yeah, I can't figure out. I've, I thought I think what's, what it's doing is it only wants to move in one direction the the trunnion because I've noticed when it does a positional move, instead of going ninety, it'll go like two seventy, or or you know it'll go the other way. But yeah, I, I'm not too not too comfortable with messing with the parameters on these machines because I mean I, I can get it to run the code and I'm happy with that. Right, <laughs> let's, let's just stick to that. <laughs> Can you MDI all four axes, or is it maybe just an indexer? I've not tried that actually. Because that would tell you at that. least if it's it's if it's positional only, or if it's actually full fourth. Right. So just put some code in the MDI to just run all four axes at once. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give that a go. Nice one. <laughs> well, the last question from Kara Curry PGH, which is actually I wanted to get into this, was all about what makes your firm vice different he says it looks very similar to like a fifth axis b562 but with a nice flush cut middle screw bracket so what makes it different what made you get into zero point work holding how did you come up with a design you know all that stuff yeah so at the at the uh, where i worked in my last job at the whittle lab we were you know it was we're very free to you could do do the work but you very much Welcome to play around, and I think you, I don't know if it was the last episode or the episode before. You're saying that the, the an employer letting their their staff make their own stuff and play around is a good thing because it helps you learn. And uh, yeah, I just I started playing around with the idea. I, we had the fifth axis vice on the on the trunnion of the the XYZ minimum five sixty, and the first design I did was pretty similar to a fifth axis vice it was it was sort of t-slots and with with the, the way the jaws go in and out yeah it was i actually put up a i remember i put up an instagram post of me having 3d printed like a prototype version of it and there was like four comments in a row like yeah fifth axis copy yeah fifth axis thief or whatever and i was like oh okay fair enough i've they're right they are right that is definitely basically a fifth axis vice so i sort of i took it as constructive criticism and sort of moved on to Doing, I was like, what can I do differently, and what don't I like about the fifth axis vice? And we were definitely getting jaw lift, and it's it, it, yeah. So the, the jaws would sort of flex back when you were holding in the gripper teeth, and I sort of started looking at ways where I could try get rid of that issue. And I ended up after lots of playing around and prototyping, and the the ways that the so you got the twin lead screw that's held in the middle of the base by a sort of I call it the lead key, but it's a very, very close fit that holds that in place. And then you've got the jaw trucks that slide over, that, that uh, slide in the base and are pulled together by the twin lead screw. And on my vice, it's actually a dovetail. So rather than being T-slots that it rides in, there's a, it's, it's dovetail ways. And what I figured out basically is that you've got way more surface area basically resisting that, that upward force of when you've got the jaws flexing back and also made the jaw carry as much it also allows that to be way wider and way thicker. While also, what I also wanted to do, because we had issues with with Z clearance on the fifth on the on the five axis trunnion, the Nikon trunnion, because it's just a standard VMC. It's got about five hundred millimeters travel in Z. So when you've got the trunnion on there, you're already lost basically half your travel. So, I mean, if you 
there were some jobs where it was like it was like ten or twelve millimeters to like you couldn't fit your tool in sort of thing. So I wanted to go as low profile as possible. So yeah, so that's what that's what I sort of ended up with. With that design, you can have a you can have it way lower down. And another reason why I really wanted to do the v, the the dovetail ways is I just I don't like two slot cutters. You know, some people just have things they don't like. Like some yep. people they just don't like loops. I just do not like a two slot cutter. So I ended up cutting the ways with in the machine on I did it on that on that on that five axis triangle just by tilting that the the, uh, the axis over it's a 30 degree angle on there so tilting it over machining it with with an end mill basically with a finishing end mill oh wow but the reason why i sort of did wanted to do the vice was because I, i'd I'd, I'd be honest i'd started getting into like robin renzetti videos and and you know like stefan and on, on youtube and sort of i hadn't done anything like the closest tolerance I'd really get was like a bearing fit or something like that. So, you know, it's like half a thou. And I really wanted to get into doing something at the sort of, you know, surface grinder level where you're chasing more like microns. So that's what sort of prompted me to want to do a vice in the first place. And then with the zero point base, I've, I've, the first one I did was, well, actually, I didn't actually machine that. The first design I did was, again, it was very similar to the uh, fifth axis base. But no, in the question, he said it looks like a, a fifth axis vice, but I think it looks more like the Lang, some of the Lang versions, because I've got the sloped sides. Yeah. Again, that's to, that's to help in that sort of fourth or fifth axis environment so you can basically get your, get the, the base out of the way of your tool holder. But yeah, no, the zero point base, what I've done is I've not used a twin lead screw. I've used a... A bit like the flux work holding vices, where he's got just basically a bolt that pulls the two jaws together, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Around around the center. That's basically what I've done for my zero point base. Yeah, because making a twin lead screw, I know I've got to make one for devices anyway, but to have the threads bang on timed in the set is is really difficult. I mean, I was trying to do it at the Whittle Lab where we had a, a proto track lathe and some manual lathes and. It was re- really hard to be honest with you, just to get it right. If I could probably do it now with the machines I've got, with just doing a, a left and a right hand threading tool and doing it in the same setup. But yeah, no, that prompted me to just use a bolt, and it's got some basically some wedges inside that are actuated by the bolt and springs sort of push it back as well. But overall, it should be a more cost-effective way of manufacturing zero-point bases. But as as I'm doing the job shop work as well at the moment, I'm I'm just too sort of They've been pushed to the side a little bit while I sort of keep keep the money coming in from from there from the job shopping. I have another feeling yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so are you it's, it's you're tricky. sticking with the ninety six millimeter, fifty two millimeter kind of pattern? Yeah, I think I think because obviously you've got the sort of the, some some zero point like the the orange one that just do a, a big pull stud in the middle, but doing I think I definitely would. I definitely prefer having four studs because you're equaling that like clamping pressure because with the, the single point ones, you're clamping just from the middle. And yeah, I know they are a big stud and they obviously work, but yeah, I just, I just, I'll tell you what I really like about the Lang and the, the fifth axis is when you've got the grip pattern is when you can have one position there, which would be 96 millimeter spacing, or you can, you can overhang like two plates, can't you? So if you've got two single plates, you could be, you could be in the middle. So you could have two vices, on either side, or you could put one in the center. There's just a lot of flexibility that way, which I think, which I really like. So yeah, I've, I've gone for 96 millimeter spacing because I think that's pretty much the industry standard now for for the four studs. Yeah, definitely. Um, so is yours going to be interchangeable with laying in fifth axis studs if people want to use it on their bases? 
Yeah, because they both they all use. I think it's M12. Was it six? Yeah, M. M- I think on the, I think it's an M10 thread, but it's like a 16 millimeter diameter boss, isn't it? That locates yeah. in there. So yeah, I'll be you, you, that'll be standard on on the vices. So yeah, you can interchange, or you can use my studs. Eventually, I'm doing the vices first, and then we'll come back and get the point, the zero point bases out there. Hopefully, awesome. Well, that's really exciting. I look forward to seeing where that all goes because I, I really like the dovetail idea. I know that everybody has their spin on anti-jaw lift and I don't think anybody's doing that and I look forward to seeing how it all shakes out. Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be cool. I mean really with the business the the whole job shop stuff is really ultimately I want to I want to just sell products. I mean from one I I enjoy sort of des- designing. I mean what I really love about machining is the the fixture design, the workholder design. That's what I really enjoy and then getting some beautiful parts at the end of it but just the freedom to design things and and uh, design things for manufacturability, which is sort of cooking it into the design. Having worked with academics that just want to, they, they want, they're, they're worried about their design being what's right for what it needs to be, obviously, but they've got no consideration for actually how it, how it needs to be made. I mean, we've right. all experienced it, haven't we, with a like a, a one millimeter fillet in the bottom of a deep pocket or something. It's just like, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you're lucky, you could talk them out of it. And if you're not, you're like, well, it's just going to be a lot of time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that brings me on to shop news and new things. Are there any other, you know, products you're working on or any other machinery purchases or sell-offs that you're doing or anything like that? Shop news. So I've literally just got a new machine in, which you can see behind me, which is a Colchester CNC 350. That's a... Yes, the the manual lathes, Colchester manual lathes, they're good good British machines from from way back when. But they they do some CNC uh, machines as well. So that's a slant bed lathe with a disgusting fanic control on it, which has been. <laughs> I mean, my Hitachi Seek has got a Yasnak control on it, which is pretty similar to fanic, but it's still better than the better than the fanic. I would agree. My Yasnak on the Kitamura was leaps and bounds over the same time period fanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because these are pretty. Yeah, they're pretty much the same. Maybe I think there's a couple of years between them. They're both older than me, I think. <laughs> but, but yeah. So yeah, got that machine in. So that I mean, I haven't. I've got it roughly leveled. I've just literally run the first job on it at the moment, which is a silly, silly job. So it's stainless steel tube, sixteen millimeter diameter. So it's about five eighths diameter with a. 1.2 millimeter wall thickness and my, my lathe travel is about like 350 millimeters and the parts are 541 millimeters they literally just got to be turned and parted off so what i'm doing is i'm starting off turning and chamfering the front then bringing the bar puller pull it out 180 millimeters clamp it pull it then go back again and then i'm doing three different pulls to pull it out to 541 millimeters and then parting it off oh so i've got Got another, I don't know, I think I've done about 80 of those so far, so I've got another another few more to run. You're making a little faux Swiss, Swiss lathe out of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Great first job to do on the machine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what, it, it can only get, you know, at least more engaging after this, right? Oh, I'm going to run some spaces on it next, I'm going to have lots of fun with those. But cool. yeah, the, the only other news really is, like I said earlier, is, is moving moving the shot. And I also will be taking on an employee, not in the next few months, but I think the plan is to start for the new year. I'm going to employ my father-in-law, actually. He uh, works at a foundry 
and uh, he did a tool making apprenticeship back in back in what would that have been the late seventies, <laughs> back when it was a uh, real machining. But no, he's he wants uh, he wants to change a pace, and I definitely need another pair of hands because I'm sure you know what it's like wearing many hats trying to do invoicing quotes cleaning and then on top of that machining trying to have a life as well which don't really have much of at the moment it'd be nice to sort of yeah be able to get more done and hopefully then add add some more machines as we're getting the new space because we've got more well i'll have more power then because i've i've got four machines here wired into a 32 amp supply oh wow (laughs) and i thought i had it bad yeah so what have have you got in your space at the minute i've got 100 amps and like i'm technically at the limit of it it's like each brother takes 30 amps supposedly and then our compressor takes 30 something you know at at full bore yeah so so that's nice i just i just i was for the last two years i've been running a piston compressor in the corner of the workshop and i've just got myself a kaiser screw compressor oh congrats dude it is it is just amazing absolutely amazing it just it just sits there it's not even in here it's sort of in the front bit as well so i just can't hear anything now i mean i've turned all the machines off to do this podcast and it's so quiet in here right now it's it's, it's strange <laughs> yeah i i know i i know those feels because it's yeah we had a piston compressor for the first four or five years four years and man talk about a quality of life increase when you get rid of that noise and that pounding all mm-hmm. day Mm-hmm. yeah because you think when you get started I'll, I'll just it's just like getting the minimum in to get started like do you know what i mean and then i luckily got this off an auction and i got a, paid a good price for it it came with the there were two locks from the same auction with the lathe so it sort of made sense to get both but yeah when you're looking at a, what a screw compressor is new it's it's big money and yeah when you get started you can't well you can if you've got the money but if you know <laughs> right if you haven't you gotta make do with what you got <laughs> yeah yeah, no, I mean, it, yeah, our compressor made us a lot of money. Like, I can't complain about it, but I'm so glad it's gone. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I had some points where I I never really considered how important air is in a machine shop. Like, I had what the compressor died, and I had to go and emergency buy a, another smaller one. It was just p- absolute panic station. You think you're worried about the machines breaking down, then you think, oh, the compressor's gone. Then I was on tender hooks. If, the little one was, it was only a 50 litre tank on it. So that was running pretty much nonstop. Oh. So yeah, it's nice to just know that that's going to, just going to hopefully keep going. Yeah. I, I hear like John Saunders talking about buying a uh, second screw compressor and like having the backup. And I'm like, yeah, you know, when we move and have a little bit more space, I would not mind doing that at all. 100%. Yeah. yeah. If you've got a lot of machines as well, I mean, you, yeah, it's just imagine them all. Imagine them all sitting waiting because your compressor isn't working. How much, how much money you'd be losing, especially in like for like Saunders' case, he's running like production all day, every day sort of thing. It's be a lot of lost money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The motor went out on our piston compressor once and took us down for a few days. And like I think, I want to say we were lucky and found one on Craigslist or something locally, and we we're able to go pick it up, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was like, oh, this is really stupid to be taken down by like, you know, I, I think it was one of the capacitors, the startup capacitors. And I was like, yeah. OK, so like yeah. a five dollar capacitor just took down an entire shop for three yeah. days because we didn't have a, an idea of what to do next. So, yeah, it's tough. 100 percent, 100 percent. Well, that brings me to the last question I ask every guest, which is what did you research this week? And it can be machining related. It can be, you know food related it can be anything 
Uh, on, uh, don't know, talk just... to me about food. Uh, since I've I've put on about three stones since doing Firmworks, I was I was at my slimmest, and then I've just receded back to being fat boy Josh. So, no, definitely re- definitely not researching any food, just eating it. Yeah. So we've got I've got I've got two sons at the moment. We've got another baby on the way. It's going to be a little girl. So we've been looking into new prams and stuff like that. But no, the Congrats. only other stuff. Yeah. Thank you, man. Just means I'm going to be even busier. <laughs> but the only other thing I've been researching really is figuring out the bloody fanat control. <laughs> I've been finding many old forum posts and I've had to actually uh, George Lister engineering, another UK head, helping me out. I've been pestering him for some for some advice. But yeah, what I really want to do is is back up the parameters on all the machines. I don't think I have to worry on the Siemens so much, but on, on the Mitsubishi and the Yasnet and the Fanuc, the Colchester machine, it's that is actually a, the, the older Colchester has got absolute position on it, which I was surprised by. But as you said, if the batteries go, you're in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make sure to change those frequently, even when you don't think you need to. Yeah, that's it's well yeah, worth so, it. Yeah, so that and just yeah, researching into how much it's all going to cost me moving and and trying to figure out the logistics of of actually moving. Like obviously, I want minimum downtime, but there's going to be some downtime, isn't there? But it's like, can I can I get the machines all moved in one day? Can I get the machines wired up in like another day? Can it be done in like a weekend, or is it going to be a week long thing? I I honestly don't know yet. So yeah, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I'm gonna have to be very strategic on that, and you know, have them. Maybe I'll pre-wire machines. You know, lay out wherever we go next, and then pre-wire. So that they're just ready to be terminated at the machine or something, because yeah, yeah. So that's what I'd like. I'd like to do that, but I've also paid for all the wiring in here, all the uh, you know the drops to each machine. I'm I'm just going to take them with me. I don't want to pay because that's that's a few. I mean, here it costs. I mean, it was like two hundred pounds per machine basically for the parts. Right. So I just want for the wire, the, the cable, and the the little breaker bit that goes in the box, and the isolator, and everything else. Oh yeah. And that's without paying the electrician. I'm lucky I've got a buddy who who does it for sort of mates rates, but yeah, it'd be very nice to just have everything wired up, all the air hooked up and just ready to just get it in. But I don't think I've got that luxury. <laughs> yeah. Now you got me thinking now, now I got some research to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh boy. Well, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast. It's been really great to, I, I know we've talked over DM and stuff, but it's been really cool to, get to chat with you and kind of put a face to the name and all that man i've been listening since episode one episode one i've been listening since so no thank you for giving us good good machinist content every every week because you never seem to miss an episode and i mean i I started off listening to business and machining back in the day and then a few more have popped up some of the more sort of corporate ones i don't really listen to but that obviously machinist for every hotline when they bothered to do an episode, that's 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 obviously a favourite. But the, with Intolerance is one hundred percent my favourite machining podcast because getting to getting to hear all everyone's different stories and different experiences, and everyone seems to be in a similar sort of. Everyone's doing different things, but everyone's got the same sort of problem. So it's good. It's very cool to hear. So thank you for doing it, mate, and thanks my, my, for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. And real quick, Patreon thank yous. Thank you to Silas Hart and Andrew Poet for joining the Patreon. Helps me do episodes like this and have excellent people like Josh on. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back next week.